Most holy Lord, you alone are worthy of my praise. O holy Lord, most holy Lord, with all of my heart I sing. With my heart I sing, great are you, Lord, worthy of praise. Most holy Lord, holy Lord, most holy Lord, you alone are worthy of my praise, O holy Lord, most holy Lord, with all of my heart I sing, with my heart I sing, great are you, Lord. great things he hath done so loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in praise the lord praise the lord let the earth hear his voice praise the lord praise the lord let the people rejoice Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. All right, as you see on the screen up here, please turn in your Bibles to First Kings chapter 19. That was our scripture reading this morning. First Kings chapter 19. So a while back, I was having a conversation with a dad, and at the time, his son was a teenager. His son was complaining about how much he, uh, he hated high school and he couldn't wait to move on with his life and go to college and do something else. He just didn't really enjoy his time in school. And his dad got a little defensive. And his dad wanted to give his son some advice. So his dad said, I can't believe you're not enjoying high school. Those were the best years of my life. 
And then his dad kind of went on a tangent about how much he enjoyed school growing up, how much fun he's had, he had growing up, and how it's never been matched since then. And I understand what the dad was doing. The dad was trying to encourage his son to really enjoy the time he has because he may miss it someday. But when the dad was talking, I remember thinking, there's something sad about this. Like, I'm glad that you enjoyed school growing up, but the way he was talking was if, as if his best days were behind him. And what I kept thinking was, what if those were some good days, but God's not done with you yet? Like, what if there's still some great days ahead of you, even if our time is limited? And what if some of your best days in your work in the kingdom of God are still ahead of you? So this morning and next week, we're going to look at this relationship between Elijah and Elisha. One of the most ancient forms or or stories, examples we have of a discipleship relationship. And we're going to look at an invitation because that's what being a disciple of Jesus is. It starts with an invitation. And the invitation of discipleship is into a new future. So one of the questions I want to ask you this morning, I want you to think about, is where is discipleship taking you in your life? No matter what age you are, how long you've been following Jesus, whatever chapter of life you're in, where is following Jesus taking you? Where is discipleship taking you currently? 1 Kings chapter 19, let me give you a little context. Elijah is the leading prophet of the time. In 1 Kings chapter 18, he has this powerful moment where God comes through for him. You know, everything looks great for Elijah, but then in chapter 19, he's fearing for his life. He has a death threat on him, so he flees all the way to Mount Horeb, or otherwise known as Mount Sinai. And there he goes to meet God, because Mount Sinai is the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Okay, so Elijah goes all the way there, and God finally speaks to him, not in all the earthquakes and all that stuff, but in this gentle whisper. And one of the things that God tells Elijah to do is to go back to where he had come from, because God's not done with him yet either. He has a few tasks for him, and one of those things that Elijah was to go and do, that God told him on the mountain, was to find a man named Elisha and to appoint him as his successor, as the next prophet or the leading prophet. So we pick up in verse 19 of 1 Kings chapter 19, and this is Elijah obeying what God tells him to do, starting in verse 19. So he set out from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, or Shaphat, however you pronounce that, and his name's like this. This is why preachers prefer New Testament texts, because these names are really hard to pronounce. But we have Elisha. He's working. He's plowing. There are 12 yoke of oxen ahead of him. He was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over him. I'm reading from a new revised standard version. If you have an NIV or another text, it probably says he threw his cloak over him. So Elijah obeys God. He goes and he finds Elisha. Very few words are exchanged between the two men. Somehow Elisha knows what's going on, and somehow Elijah knows who Elisha is. And he throws his cloak around him. That's a symbol that he has chosen him or probably more accurately, that God has chosen him. You know, this year, for 2018, and maybe even beyond, we've challenged everybody that's a part of this church, that's a follower of Jesus, to have your one. We spent some time praying about that. We had a Sunday where everybody wrote their name on a card, and and we've 
got away from that for a little bit to just let that relationship start to be put into place, but one of the things I want to remind you of this morning is that as you're in this discipleship relationship, I hope that you are continuing to intentionally try to bring somebody into a life with Christ. And if at this point you were to ask Elijah, who's your one, he would say, it's Elisha. God has given him a one and made it very clear to him, and so he goes and he throws his cloak around him, and it's time to begin this relationship. In verse 20, he left the oxen, ran after Elijah, so he seems excited. And he said, let me kiss my father and mother and tell them, and then I will follow you and tell them goodbye. Then Elijah said, go back again. What have I done to you? This is a strange verse. So it seems like Elisha's initial reaction makes sense. Let me go back and tell my family goodbye. You know, if I'm going to leave, if I'm going to quit everything to go and follow you, at least let me say goodbye. But Elijah takes that maybe the wrong way, and he says, go back. What have I done to you? So maybe Elijah's thinking that Elisha's commitment is wavering a little bit. But regardless, Elijah's showing up, he's disrupting Elisha's life. He disrupts it. He's working, he has a job, he has a family, he has a livelihood, and Elijah showing up disrupts his life. That's what Jesus does for us, and that's in a good way. Following Jesus disrupts our life, and as you disciple someone else, hopefully in a good way, in a positive way, you're disrupting their life because God has given you this relationship. So Elisha knows that it's time to leave everything behind. And in verse 21, he's going to show just how committed to this relationship he really is. In verse 21, it says, He returned from following him. He took the yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. Using the equipment from the oxen, he boiled their flesh, or in the NIV says he cooked the meat. And he gave it to people and they ate. Then he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. You know, it's been almost a year, actually it was the first Sunday in May last year, that it was announced here at Pine Tree that you guys had hired a new preacher, and we had this little video, and it was us, and that same Sunday, I was announcing to the church I had been working for in Mount Pleasant that we were going to be leaving. And that was a hard announcement, that was a hard conversation to have with a lot of people, because we loved those people, we loved that church, but we knew it was time to move on. All right, so that Sunday came up. And I was really nervous. The plan was to preach a sermon, offer an invitation, have everybody sit back down, and then make the announcement. And that was one of the longest sermons I've ever preached because I was really just dragging it out, trying to avoid making that announcement. But I knew that once I announced it, which, by the way, I think for preachers and maybe ministers in general, is probably the only, one of the only jobs where you have to stand up in front of hundreds of people to say you've taken another job. So it was a difficult day all the way around, but I knew once I announced it, like there's no taking it back at that point. Uh, it's, it's happening. It's put in motion, right? There's no turning back. So leading up to that day, I probably called the elders here several different times just to confirm... Y'all are announcing it too, right? Like, this is actually happening, because I don't want to announce it, and then y'all decided not to. But I look at verse 21, and I see what Elisha is doing to show his commitment. What Elisha does in verse 21, there's no turning back. As some writers have said, he burned his past. He took all of his equipment, all of his tools, 
took all of his animals, he slaughtered them, and then he started a fire with his equipment and burned the meat and fed it to people. So what he's doing in verse 21 is he is burning his past so that he can't go back. If a few weeks go by, or a few months, or a few years, and this whole thing with Elijah is starting to get hard, or it's not working out the way he thought it would, there's no turning back. He doesn't put his stuff in storage. He doesn't pay somebody to take care of his animals. He puts it all behind him so that he could step forward. He has one direction, and that's move forward. So he puts the past behind him so that he can step into the new future that God was calling him into. And it's the same for us when it, when it comes to following Jesus. Whether you've been on that path for a while or you are currently inviting somebody into a life with Christ, um, we have to put some things behind us so that we can move forward, but there's always some barriers preventing that or slowing us down from moving forward with Christ. And one of those is we live in the past. We get stuck in the past and the past successes or past failures. Right? Some people live in the past. Because the future doesn't look real bright. So we spend a lot of time, and, and I love taking a trip down memory lane. I love seeing old friends and family members and talking about what happened back in the day and reliving some of those stories, and they get embellished over the years. But if we live there, if we stay there, if we're stuck there, it's hard to move forward. For some of us, we get stuck in a past mistake or a past failure. Uh, there was a movie that came out in the 80s called The Best of Times, starring uh, Robin Williams and Kurt Russell. And Robin Williams, they were in their early 30s, uh, and he still lived in the town that he grew up in. And every day he would go upstairs and he would watch game film from his last football game where he dropped the touchdown winning, or what would have been the winning touchdown pass against their rival, and he dropped it, and they lost, and he just couldn't get past it. And everybody in town still brought it up to him. Maybe you've been in a situation like that, but he was just obsessed with his past failures. And maybe you feel that way on a light way about a sports game or something like that. But there's a lot of people, and sometimes this happens subconsciously, where you've made some mistakes in your past. Maybe it's a sin that you've battled with or lived with for a while, or something you've done to hurt someone, and you just become obsessed with your past mistakes. And when you just live in the past, it's hard to move forward into this new future that God is calling you into. Or maybe on the flip side, you're holding on to something that's painful that somebody has done to you. You know, maybe somebody has hurt you or said something to you, or maybe it's somebody really close to you, like a family member or a good friend, and you just hold on to that like a grudge, and you become bitter, and it's hard to forgive. And believe it or not, that is a barrier. And again, that happens a lot of times subconsciously. Like you're holding on to something, you never dealt with something from the past, and it's still a part of you, and you don't even realize it. And there's a book called The Last Arrow that came out recently. And in the book, it tells a story about a woman named Natasha. She lived in Washington, D.C. She had grown up there. She didn't have much of a family life, didn't have much guidance growing up, so she wasn't great at making decisions. She had two small children. She had bounced around with different men in her life, and she was in a relationship with with an abusive man. 
And she knew she had to get out of it. She was afraid for her and her children. So she made a decision. She was going to pack up and leave from Washington, D.C. and travel all the way to Los Angeles because she had some family members there. So she put her kids in the car. She took this long trip. And they stopped for the night so she could sleep. And her kids were sleeping in the back of the car. They couldn't afford a hotel. But she couldn't sleep because she was just thinking about everybody from her life in Washington and all the people that had hurt her. And all the mistakes she had made. So she got out a little notebook and she wrote down all of it. All of the people that hurt her. All of the bad things that had happened to her in life. All the mistakes she had made. She wrote it all down in this notebook. She stepped outside in this field, started a small fire, and just started taking out each sheet of paper and burning it. Signifying she's burning her past, kind of like Elisha did in verse 21, so that she can move forward. I mean, she was physically moving somewhere else, but she knew she had to put those things behind her. She was holding on to it like a crutch. And in order to move forward, she had to burn those things from her past. Back in 2006, a group of people started something called Good Riddance Day. And this is in Times Square, and they do it every year now. You can show up, and they give you these sheets of paper that say Good Riddance. And everything that's happened to you in the past year, every embarrassing moment, Every painful moment, every mistake that you made, you can write them down on this sheet of paper and you wait in line and then you put them in this industrial strength shredder. And it indicates you're putting these things behind you. All right, What's done is done. It's in the past. You deal with what you need to, but you need to step into the new year, the new future. And sometimes we hold on to these things from the past and it prevents us from moving into what God is calling us into. Sometimes that doesn't mean running away. It may not mean moving somewhere else. It may just mean you stay where you're at and you rise above it. Or maybe you deal with some things from the past and realize you're not enslaved to those decisions of the past. And sometimes we have barriers of taking God's initiative into a new future because we're afraid of the future. And this would be a hard conversation with some people. I have family members, you do too, maybe you're currently in a life situation where you're battling an illness, a disease, a diagnosis, where the future doesn't look real bright. And maybe, and hopefully you're looking forward to eternal life with Christ, but when it comes to your earthly life, you may be thinking, well, I don't know if there's much left. But the way I look at it is as long as you're still here, God's not done with you yet. And often, Whatever situation you're in, that may be an opportunity to connect with somebody else who's in a similar situation. Sometimes I'm afraid of the future uh, with my children. It goes by so quickly that I'm afraid I'm not savoring and enjoying each moment with them like I should be. You know, the future can be overwhelming, but when you step into the future... As a disciple of Jesus, you don't know what's going to happen. You just trust that God is going to guide you. In Luke chapter 9, I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 9. There is this story, three different short stories of potential disciples. And I think it kind of echoes this relationship between Elijah and Elisha. So Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, as they're going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. So here's a potential disciple. Somebody who comes up to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
So it seems like what Jesus is saying is he's, he's houseless, he's homeless. Following me is not going to be easy, it's not going to be a comfortable road. Are you sure you really want to follow me? Make sure you count the cost. Or maybe there's a political move here. In Luke chapter 13, Herod Antipas is looking for Jesus, and Jesus says, you go tell that fox, and he calls Herod a fox. And you know, Herod the Great had several sons, and they became rulers. So maybe when he says foxes have holes, he's referring to Herod and Herod's boys. And then he says, birds of the air have nests. In Luke 17, at the end of Luke 17, he says, where there's a dead body there, the vultures will gather. But some translations have eagles rather than vultures. And, you know, the Romans would carry an eagle with them into battle. So maybe the foxes represent Herod, the, the birds represent the Romans, and maybe he's saying, you know, the political powers of this world have it comfortable and easy, but he's doing something different. The kingdom of God is very different from the kingdoms of this world. But regardless, this is his response to this guy, and we don't get this guy's response. We don't know what happens next. We just move on to the next story. So verse 59, Jesus says to someone else, follow me. So he extends the invitation, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, you go proclaim the kingdom of God. So that sounds harsh. It's almost like, why would you not let him go to his dad's funeral and just handle his, his affairs? But some people say that maybe what this guy's really saying is he wants to make sure he gets his inheritance. He wants his money. Sure, I'll follow you, but let me get my money first. And Jesus is demanding full allegiance to him. In verse 61, he says, I will follow you, Lord. Or or Jesus, in verse 60, Jesus said, verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Verse 62, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So especially in that last scenario, Jesus seems to be alluding to this situation with Elisha because Elisha tells Elijah, let me go back and say bye to my family first. And that's what this guy says. It's just simply let me say goodbye to my family. But anybody who starts to move forward and then looks back is not fit for service. We see the commitment that Elisha makes in 1 Kings 19, verse 21. He burns it all behind him so that he could step into his future. But with these last two guys in Luke chapter 9, it seems to be that they're using certain excuses from the past, and that's holding them back from truly embracing this call of discipleship. What's holding us back? What is in our past that is holding us back where we may be like these people? Now, we put the past behind us, but I think we also can appreciate the past. I think we need to appreciate uh, people that have been in our past. We appreciate experiences because that shapes who we are. We appreciate friends and family and Christ-like people that we have known along the way, experiences that we've had. So moving forward doesn't mean you just burn bridges, right? We're not burning bridges. We're not trying to hurt people or tell people off just to move forward with Jesus. That's not what we're doing. We still appreciate people from our past who may still be a part of our future. We're also not holding on to some of those bad influences. For years, being a part of jail ministry, 
uh, I would work with, do Bible studies with people who were going to be released soon. And the most common conversation that we had is once you're released, there are certain people in your life that you cannot be around. You have to put those people behind you because there's certain influences The people were around, their social influences that kept pulling them back into a sinful life, to an addiction, to whatever it may be, an illegal activity, and that was the reason they kept going back. So once they're released back into society, you have to put certain people behind you, certain bad influences behind you, so that you can step forward. Same thing with forgiving others, being willing to forgive, not hold on to these grudges and bitterness. There may be traditions... You know, even in the, especially in the church world, we heard, hold on to certain traditions and it's hard to let those things go so that we can move forward with where God is calling us. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And it says, great is thy faithfulness. The mercies of God are new every morning. So whether you feel like you're towards the end or you got a lot of life left in you, every day God's mercies are new for you to embrace that call of following him, discipleship, to embrace the future, no matter where you're at or how long you've been on the journey. There's a story about uh, Thomas Edison. In 1914, on a cold night, his plant caught on fire. And the whole thing burned to the ground. It was this huge fire. There was nothing they could do about it to stop it or slow it down. So they just watched it all burn. He was 67 years old, and he watched his life's work burn to the ground. And his sons, who worked with him, were very upset, especially because they were thinking about their dad. This is everything he's ever worked for, and it's all gone. And the next morning, they were kind of watching his response to see how he was going to take everything as they surveyed the damage. But he said something to them that was kind of surprising to them. And he said, you know, there's value in disaster because all our mistakes are burned up. Sure, your life's work is burned up, but all our mistakes are burned up also. And he said, we thank God because now we get to start anew. Today's a new day, so let's start new. And sometimes I feel that way with Jesus. Maybe you've been on the road for a while, you made a decision to follow a long time ago, and it's just time to start new, and it's a new chapter in your life, and that question comes up again. Where is discipleship taking you? Maybe God's not done with you yet. Where are you at on the journey? And for those of you who are trying to disciple someone, as you invite them into this relationship, what are you really inviting them into? What kind of future are you inviting someone into? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation. And I'm just going to read one verse from 2 Corinthians 5, and I'll be on the PowerPoint. In verse 17, he says, If anybody is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. If you're in Christ, the old person is gone, and the new has come. If you read through Paul's letters in the New Testament over and over again, he talks about how it's not he who lives, but it's Christ who lives in him. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's probably one of the worst of all sinners, and he admits that, 
because of his past. When he comes into Christ, he said that old person is gone and the new has come in Christ. So for those of you who make a decision to follow Jesus and you're baptized into Christ, the old person is gone and the new has come. But for others of you, if you made that decision a long time ago, you may have to just hear that in a fresh way. What would that look like for you for the old to be gone and the new to come in Christ? Where is discipleship taking you? Elisha was living his life, working, and he gets this call to follow Elijah, so he puts everything behind him so he can embrace God's new future. And that's the invitation for you today as well. I don't know where you're at on the journey, but I, we said every Sunday we have shepherds who are going to be standing in the back. One will be standing up here with me. This is an opportunity for you to respond, for you to request prayers, whatever you may need. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up, and Tony's going to come back up here, and we're going to sing a few more songs, and you're welcome to respond while we stand and sing.